Hello and welcome to this week's installment of Where's My Burrito with me, Christian Torres, and my co-host, Max McCarty. Sip. Listen, man, I'm a little drunk. I'm going to be real with you. I've got, I got to put that on Front Street now. And because... you know what? I'm, I'm putting it on Front Street that I am trying to catch up with you because you. I want to be on your level. Now, yeah. I haven't been day drinking, you know, but uh, I have been the past 30 minutes yeah. uh, just doing my level. Yeah, best. it's midnight and I've been drinking since four. So I need to, I don't know if you're going to catch to my level, but the point is that uh, you're getting there. And I like that, you know, unlike most people would be like, sober up, Christian. You're like, no, I'll fucking drunk up to your level. And I appreciate that, man. I, I am uh, a classic enabler. I'm bad for people. <laughs> yes, you and are. I don't, I don't give a shit, honestly. <laughs> and why should you, man? Like, why? Who do, why do, who do you owe anything, you know? I mean, I owe people basic human respect, you know, <laughs> and the respect. <laughs> I disagree. I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> But then on the other hand, what's easier? Convince them to, you know, get drunker and uh, makes my day better because then I can get drunker. Right. And then we have more fun. To alcohol is There's a- an old country song that's about uh I wish the we should we should all stop fighting and just drink a beer. Right. I don't know if that's exactly what it is, but it's something of that. Isn't sense. that a nickelback song? Is it a Nickelback song? Because that'll change my life. No, no, no. This this predates it because I heard it when I was like fucking seven or eight. So Nickelback ain't around yet. Mm. Um, but it's a song. It's a country song. And it's all about like, yeah, I think everyone should stop fighting. And just have a beer and everyone will be okay. But I think that's kind of sweet. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's a nice notion. Like all where, the radical where? Zionist yeah. Jews need are a beer. And all the crazy uh, militant Muslims need is a beer. And they'll be fine now. Granted, neither of them can have it in their religion. But. Yeah, but I mean, you know, if they did have one, they would yeah. probably uh, get really sullen and um, start arguing even more. Yeah. But just be, you know, less uh, coherent about it. What's up with alcohol in general, man? Let's have an alcohol-themed podcast because I'm on it. Why do some people uh, – like, here's my thing with alcohol, right? It makes you feel good. So I don't understand dr- dark drunks. And we know some dark drunks, man. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, we know a couple people who get – um I can think of a couple. Right. But my point is this, that like when you drink alcohol, alcohol for me makes me feel good. Right now. I don't want to drink so much that I don't feel good later on, but I do have this whole aspect where it's like you drink because it feels good and then you can entertain yourself. But when you drink and you become like shitty and you're just like moping and you're like a fucking goth kid from South Park or some shit, like, what are you doing? What's the point in that, man? I mean, maybe it's just to, to deaden the, the sense of feeling in general. You know, you'd, go ra- you'd, you'd rather be numb than feel whatever uh, state of panic you're usually in. Yeah. Do you think that's the most overrated? Like, oh, I'm numb, so I drink because I'm numb. Like, I don't know. It's as a trope, <laughs> <laughs> as a life trope, not even a TV trope, man. <laughs> Fuck you. I don't care if you're numb. Uh, life tropes, uh, so. man. Yeah, you know, I mean, I don't know if it's overrated. I don't know who's rating it, but uh, I know that people are uh, not good for people. You know, they're they're not good for themselves. And uh, you know, whatever, it's fine. I say do all the drugs. Um, really go for it. Uh, the sun's gonna explode one day. That's my saying. You know. So uh, if you want to get dark drunk, do it. I don't give a shit. Yeah. If man. you want to eat a whole sleeve of Oreos by yourself and then cry. And yeah. and watch soaps all day. Do it. Fine. I don't give a shit. Yeah, but man. Just, you know, don't make it my problem. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I don't drink when I'm sad. I watch the leftovers. 
which is what I did this morning, by the way. I totally, out of context, watched the season two finale of The Leftovers, mm-hmm. cried my eyes out all morning, not because of whatever. It's just a beautiful fucking show. And I started watching the third season, and then I was like, all right, I should stop doing this because I don't want to be too depressed. You know what I mean? But uh, Well, uh, so, so, okay, that's, that's an interesting point you bring up. Is it um, better for you when you're feeling down or whatever to watch something that, like, is through the screen empathizing with you or like, cause other people like, like the idea would be to say, Oh, I'm going to watch a pick me up. You know, I'm going to, I'm going yeah. to watch something happy. That'll make me laugh and get me out of this funk. Is it better yeah. for you to watch something that'll like, you can relate to in that moment emotionally? Yeah. It's weird because there are other times where I'm like, I'm going to watch all in the family for 80 episodes on YouTube, right? Or like the golden girls. Like there, there's two spectrums of like, I'm going to go and watch like these really innocuous, like seventies and eighties comedies where mm-hmm. like life was simpler. <laughs> like if that makes sense. Or the other spectrum is I like, go ultra sad, man, you know? And like, you try to find this thing where there is just sorrow in the world. And I know you've never watched season two and season three of the leftovers, but it's, I mean, it, like, you know, we were, we were arguing off mic before about like all time, great television shows and stuff and how you shouldn't rank it. But I can honestly tell you in 30 years, I'll feel the same way about the leftovers that I feel now, if not more attached to it, you know, mm. it's like this beautiful fucking, I don't know, man. I always say this all the time, right? That like, you, you know, the older you get words fail you. And I think that that is largely what art is is trying to express some shit that you feel but can't really put into words. And sure, words exist, but they don't do it justice. So you create these new worlds and create these narratives in order to try to further explain how you're just feeling. You know what I mean? Yeah. The Leftovers is that. Like, it is... The, I don't know what feeling it is. It's not, like... It's not sadness for the sake of sadness. You know what I mean? Like, it's not that because who the fuck would want to do that? I feel like that's kind of what season one is, which mm-hmm. is why people got turned off. They're just that's like... why it's I just- stopped watching it. <laughs> God, man. But no, season two is just like, yeah, it's still sad, but you have these moments of just incredible fucking beauty that make it like, this is what's all worth it, man. For the five minutes where shit's not falling apart, you mm-hmm. get this beautiful thing. And that's the, and like, that's life, man. I feel like life is, uh, let's say you live a hundred years. If you had to add it all up, life is like 80 years of bullshit, you know, and then 20 years of good times. Like if you had to add up all your years and, uh, it's a sad thought, man. I don't know. I mean, is it though? It's fine. How old do you want to live, Max? What's your like? I, what do you, what's your age? What are you hoping for? I want to live forever, BB. <laughs> All right. Well, sad man. I want you to live forever. No, I want you to live forever. I'm sad because it ain't gonna happen. You know, like I'm I mean, sad. okay, not not to make this an AI cast because I talk about AI a lot. <laughs> right, it, but um, if there's a San Junipero option for me, yeah, I we, might just I, I might I might could take it. You know, because why not? You can yeah. shut it off at any time. You can live in a digital uh, wonderland. Can you turn you know? yourself back on afterwards or no? Yeah, uh, no. No, once you pull the plug, you pull the plug. Yeah, man, I don't know. <clears throat> I don't know the existential questions to that because it's like you get to go back as your glory self, right? I mean, that's what the episode of Black Mirror was about. You get to go back yeah. as the version of yourself that you want to be seen as. Yeah. So I'm not sure when that was. Which maybe is, I, maybe uh, I haven't achieved it yet. But this right here, right here. <laughs> you see this? <laughs> this is me forever in a computer. Oh Christ! Uh, uh, yeah, man. I don't know. It's it's like that's a that's an interesting idea because it makes you feel better, 
right? I think that the whole idea of afterlife, even as kids, like you and I are pretty atheist as fuck, right? Or at least agnostic, right? Like, I think we're just like, oh, there's something probably, but it's not what we think it is. And, yeah, and, I, I think it's an Adrian, you know, Brody quest. Yeah. I think it's like that. I, I think it's just a, a series of lights uh, out there in the universe somewhere yeah. that if you were to come in contact with them, uh, you, you would disintegrate and merge with the infinite. Yeah, I mean, like, that's something that Christianity gets right, right? You know, in terms of, like, they're not right about anything else, but they say you wouldn't be able to comprehend. Like, you couldn't even hear the voice of God, right? Like, it's just something we cannot comprehend. So whatever the afterlife is, is some weird celestial thing that we can't fucking understand, you know what I mean? Yeah. But um, I don't know, man. Just the idea that, like, you know, we're not religious people, but they got that right, like the unknown of it. When did the Bible get all fucked? That's my question. When did it get perverted? Um, Leviticus. Immediately? <laughs> like the yeah, fourth book? Right, right away. Where they start talking shit about shrimp, and you're just like, wait, what does shrimp have to do with this? <laughs> like, what did the shrimp do to you? If you, you know? fuck with shrimp on a Thursday before noon, you need to do some serious penance, my friend. Yeah, Self-flagellation. Mm-hmm. Push a boulder up a hill. Um, <laughs> sacrifice a virgin. Whatever you got to do. You know, and, and that's the thing about the Bible is uh, it's bullshit and it doesn't make any sense. And I think that's why it loses people, you know? Yeah. If there was one like modern novel from American lit that you could make oh. a Bible, <laughs> like oh. we could now make it religious. You're, 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 you're starting this question as if I'm somebody who reads things. No, but you've read stuff in high school and stuff, right? <laughs> like, surely you read some of the greats. I mean, I like, I have to live in a world where you've read. Some Hemingway, some Faulkner, some Steinbeck, some fucking, you know, Philip Roth. Some We've certainly read Cormac, you know what I mean? So, like, I've read like in a Cormac. ways, you know, Blood Meridian's sort of biblical in a weird fucking way. If the Bible is a prophecy of just destruction and death and no happiness, which is my yeah. life. So, you know, I'm into it. I mean, you know, I, I'm an absurdist, man. I think that everything is a fucking cosmic joke. So, like, whatever, you know, uh... Hop on the the atom bomb and just take a ride. <laughs> That's the weirdest Kubrick movie, man. Sorry to jump all <laughs> over the place, but like you think about Kubrick and you're like, oh, Full Metal Jacket, A Clockwork Orange, yeah. right? Well, like like thousand one a space serious, odyssey, yeah. He's but he throws you this guy. fucking movie, where, and like, it's like the best comedy ever made. <laughs> no, yeah. it's incredible. Like Peter, I mean, seriously, the, like the bit of physical acting that Peter Sellers does, where his arm is still loyal to the Fuhrer, but his yeah. body and his mind does not. You know, what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> he's playing what three roles in that movie? Oh, it's incredible. I I think my favorite might be Mandrake. Yeah, just where he's like just the, the British Scott? officer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, with not not with George C. Scott, it's with uh, William Holden, right? Is that is that William Holden? Yeah, George C. Scott is in the war room with the president. Okay, yeah, yeah. Officer. I'm talking about the officer who's like off on that side. Yeah, yeah, mission. yeah. Okay, yeah. so George C. Scott or is maybe with not him. William Holden. Sterling Hayden. There we William, go. Like, William yeah, Holden yeah, yeah. Okay. is a terrible actor. He okay. was in a lot of fifties movies, and he was the biggest piece of shit actor I've ever seen. He brought down fucking Bridge on the River Kwai. And other films that are also good, but that's so either here or One example, man. If William I Holden, I think it'd be like Bridge on the River Kwai on the. If William Holden was still alive and uh-huh. he was like 107 years old and he was like a frail old man in a wheelchair in a nursing home somewhere, I would find out where he was and slap him a whole bunch and say, "You're bad. You're bad at acting. You're really bad at it. You suck. You old piece of shit. You old bitch. I hate you." So that's but, worse. I thought you were going to like throw him down some stairs. You're like, no, I'm going to crush his spirits. Okay. 
something about the image of like throwing a whole wheelchair with a person in it down a flight of anything is great to me. Um, maybe I took it a little too far with Sterling Hayden. I just don't think he's very good. Uh, but no, uh, no, wait, William Holden, Sterling yeah, Hayden. Sterling See, that, this is the problem with drunk cast is I immediately uh, get my, uh, my Hayden's and my Holden's all mixed up. Um, to be Sterling, fair, they're very similar. <laughs> like it's not like all this to say is uh, Doctor Strange Love is great. You should watch it. Um, Doctor Strange Love is my Bible. You know, if you want to talk about uh, any that's your piece Bible. Any, yeah that that that's my view of uh, the world and humanity and everything. Really, in, in a movie. So just like, like a ridiculous, like, what do you mean you can't turn it off, Dimitri? Like that scene where they're like talking about yeah. how the bomb is already being well, set I'm, off. <laughs> I'm sorry, too. I'm just as capable of being as sorry as you are. It's that. Like, it's so good. But and see, it's so but, true. But, but it's still tapping into a weird darkness, man. It's talking about the end of the world. And I think that that's the only kind of comedy that Kubrick uh, can yeah. do. Like, it, it's do it's the end of the comedy. world filtered through and caused by... Well, okay, like, the, the whole premise for that movie, if you break it down, like, the whole reason that the world ends mm-hmm. is because one general couldn't get it up. So he decides... It couldn't be me because that would threaten his manhood. He decides yeah. it must be that the Russians have been fluoridating the water, which is causing impotence, which is why he can't get it up. So now I'm going to nuke Russia. Unbeknownst to him, Russia's got a doomsday device, which is going to you know, bring about the destruction of all of humanity as we know it. Yeah. And isn't that a potent metaphor for humanity and where we're at right now? Like Just a couple of years ago, the Republican primaries, we were having an actual dick measuring contest. And now we have a president, uh, you know, who's uh, a, a, a shriveled dick uh, piece of shit. So okay, wow. th- there we are. We are living in a Dr. Strangelove universe, uh, and it's taken us this long to realize it. Well, you know, the thing about that movie is that it's a comedy, and then you get to the end. And I've always, like, you know what, you know what I really remember about that movie is not, like... Peter Sellers arm fucking being loyal to the Fuhrer, not George C. Scott secretly being amazing, like and hating it, by the way, because I yeah. hear that he did not have a good time on that movie. <laughs> yeah, all. no, um, but but Kubrick, okay, P- Kubrick did win his respect because he was like a notoriously like alpha kind of yeah. asshole actor to work with. And mm-hmm. Kubrick would challenge him to chess and constantly beat his ass in chess. Because nice. Kubrick was like smart as shit. Yeah, he was really like, yeah, clearly. He's really a genius, yeah. But during the filming, yeah, like, Kubrick would be like, I need you to give me more. I need you to give me more, George. And he'd be like, I'm going as cartoonish as I can possibly go. And he's like, no, you can do more. <laughs> and he would, like, push it far beyond what he would consider respectable as an actor. And that's the performance we got. Yeah, wow. And it's amazing. No, it's a really great performance, man. Absolutely. But what uh, the point I was going to say was, like, you know, then you get to the very end of this, and now you've seen it. Peter Sellers do amazing fucking performances, three different mm-hmm. characters being amazing. Um, but then you get to we'll meet again as yeah. the bombs go off. And that's like, it's bitter. It's like, that's a dark fucking ending, man. <laughs> like, I don't know. That stuck with me as a kid. I saw that when I was like 17 or 18 with you. It's the first yeah. time I ever saw it. Uh, Cause you had the poster in your room and I fucking was like, that's a cool fucking poster, man. And they had the phone and the bombs and shit. And it was one of those things where, like, I was really blown away by how dark that ending was for a movie that's supposed to be a comedy. Yeah. And what I really think is that Kubrick, at no point, was really making a comedy. He was using comedy to be dramatic as fuck, man. And I think that's really what he was trying to do. 
I mean, this is turning into a podcast about Dr. Strangelove. I happen to know a lot about it. Just right. I fucking love Dr. Strangelove. Yeah. But um, originally, it did not start off as a comedy. Like, its original conception was as a, like, thriller, a political thriller. It's based on a book that is not comedic at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but as Kubrick was writing it, he realized he could not make it work without making it a comedy because nuclear war is inherently ridiculous. The idea yeah. of, uh, like, electing to destroy each other or the human race as we know it is fucking absurd. But that's the situation we were in then, and that's the situation we're kind of in now. Oh, it's the same thing. I mean, make yeah. no mistake, one one bomb, and that's it. Like, one, like here's my point. If you're Russia, right? Let's say we bomb Russia. Let's say we bomb Iran. Let's say we bomb North Korea or some shit. They're not going to not attack back. Like, one bomb, and yeah. it's all over. We're they're, they're not going to be like, you know what, U.S., you, you were right. I'm sorry. I'm so no, sorry. and that's my point. Yeah. So we're definitely still in the era of, of mutual assured destruction, right? Mm-hmm. Like that shit's going to happen. Um, and it's one of those things where you're right. Like it is so ridiculous because it's like, it's petty. Like you're going to kill the entire species, man. <laughs> like, I don't know, dude. I It's it, it's crazy to me that that's like the situation that we're in. And you're right. So, like, used to make it a fucking comedy somehow. Yeah. And so all you can really do in these situations, and this is where you got to pull yourself up from that, that spiral, right? <laughs> Yeah, is all you can do is laugh because what else is there? Yeah, you're gonna be fucking miserable about it. Well, There's nothing you can do to change like it. That big trouble in little China scene that I really love. <laughs> where no, no, seriously, man. I know yeah. it's a weird movie to compare it to, but they're going up, right? They're coming back. They're gonna try to get the lady with the green eyes, and they're trying to get uh, Kim Cattrall back and all that shit. And they're in the elevator, and Egg Chen gives them the fucking six demon bag drink. Mm-hmm. He's like, what is six demon bag? And it's just like, well, it's it doesn't it make you invincible, does it make you stronger? He's like, no, nah, it just makes you laugh. And they're sitting <laughs> in the elevator, like laughing as they're going into their impending doom. Yeah. Right? And yeah. I love that. It's like, well, sometimes, man, like that's all you have is to be able to laugh at the situation because it's just fucking ridiculous, man. Yeah, that's what you gotta do. And I think that that's what your approach to life needs to be. You know, especially in this modern world, we're exposed to everything that's going on at the push of a button. Yeah. We see an update on how much shittier the world is getting. But you know, all you can do is fucking laugh or put away the button. But we know we're never gonna do that's that. That's not gonna by, happen. Listen, yeah, by so button, listen. I mean phone. Yeah. Uh, so leftovers related. There is there's nukes involved in the leftovers. That's how crazy and apocalyptic this show gets. Season three kind of revolves around a nuke in a weird way, right? Mm-hmm. And um, there is this whole fail safe thing where the United Nations has agreed that if they're going to use a nuke, that they have to put the key for the nuke behind the heart of a civilian. And it's like the final failsafe, dude. <laughs> okay. Because it's like the only person who can go in and get it is like the president, right? So they surgically fucking insert a key. That's that, that's literally a Saw movie. It's that's crazy, like, dude. Like, <laughs> like, listen, all you have to do to unlock the head headset oh, is to man. fucking dig through the stomach of the person next yes. to you. Okay. Yeah. But here's the thing. And I'm telling you, man, like, I realize how ridiculous that sounds in the context of the show. It's the most beautiful fucking like i'm about to cry talking about it like it's so fucking beautiful in the context of the show right Mm. but i liked it because it's like well uh you have to basically the deterrent right it's like the the mindset of it is like you put this inside of the heart of a person because if you really want to end the world you have to then kill a human you have to look into the eyes of a person all right end their life and then fucking take this thing from their it's like fucked up it's metal as hell you know what i mean right 
but you see nukes go off in the leftovers. Or maybe you don't. I mean, there's a moment like nukes go off. Dude. I mean, you really need to watch this fucking show. I'm telling you, it's like the most amazing thing ever for me. But um, I have, I like, you know, I told you last podcast, I'm dreaming of asteroids, man. Maybe I'm really thinking of nukes. Like what happens when there is just some cataclysmic event and we're living in fallout times. Now, look, you have played a lot of fallout, man. You're, I'm you're ready. I'm ready. you're ready. I'm ready. Me, I'm a Skyrim guy. So like if dragons come back, I'm your boy. But until yeah. then, like we're <laughs> fucked. Okay. So I rely solely on you. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, just like fucking hit me up if the bombs start falling. Um, I got your back. Like I know exactly what to do. Not really. Those games don't prepare you for shit. You know, yeah. you're, you're, all. you're taking place well after the action, like yeah, hundreds of like, years after your, your like ancestors have, did all the heavy lifting of, of, of adapting to the fucking fallout, you know what I mean? Right. But for a good few hundred years, it was terrible <laughs> for the people that weren't in vaults. Like, let's be real. Um, the fallout games, that's another thing that it's like, that's my, that's my kind of philosophy right there. Cause it's kind of a low key, like a dark comedy, those games. Yeah, I mean, I guess so. I think it's weird that we as humans, you know, like there was this, there's this thing about 9-11 when 9-11 happened. People were like, oh, how could we possibly ever imagine? And I'm like, what the fuck do you mean? How do we possibly ever imagine, man? Like, that's what we do. Like, like I don't know, like constantly Hollywood is creating these fucking uh, horrific things that happen, right? Mm-hmm. And that informs our our fucking reality. So people are like, oh, we've never imagined something as heinous as nine eleven happening. But there are surely fucking movies that have involved like in Independence Day, aliens right. blew up the goddamn White House. Boom, there it is. Exactly. No, I mean that's the truth, dude. Then what? That's six years, five years before nine. Roland Emmerich knew what the fuck was up. <laughs> Roland Emmerich is the fucking OG truther. He may be that, responsible for nine eleven. That like, fucking have we vetted this guy? Second rate. Spielberg motherfucker called 9-11 before it happened. So that makes him first rate Spielberg because he called it. Like that 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 one discovery alone puts him in a league. <laughs> He's of more own. Spielberg than <laughs> Spielberg. Well, why isn't he just called Emmerich then if he's more Sp- he's more Spielberg than Spielberg, all right? <laughs> like Okay, buddy. I don't know. Because we we you know, when I think of uh, Spielberg, I think of him as a soothsayer first and a director <laughs> and then a director second. No, but it's it, my point is that like we talk about imagined crisis, right? We we make video games out of nuclear war. We made films out of it for decades now, right? Mad Max and shit and uh, I don't know, other fucking things. And it's just that like we are at the point where we have parodied and made imagination, like imaginative fucking tales of this very real likely possibility, man. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, what's well, what's well, just, just, just the fact that it was surprising to people that it could happen here. Well, I just, is mean, that what you're saying? No, no. I just mean in general, like there's a video game where you're right. It's a dark comedy. Like there are comedic parts to fall out, but we've made entertainment out of fucking actual nuclear war, which could break out at any moment. Like, we made the Ben Franklin time traveling joke, which is he gets to the fucking forties sees that we have a bomb technologies and he's like, wait, there's like 80 more years of this shit. No way. Cause once you bring that to the fucking table, you don't just like leave it there. Like, yeah, dude, that, that's like a this. Chekhov's like, gun type situation. Oh, it is. Right? Oh my God. You're absolutely right. If this is a fucking play, if this is a story, we've had Chekhov's gun fucking showing since the forties. Yeah. Man. Like how, how, how mad would you be as an audience member? If you're an alien in space watching this and you're like, Oh shit, they brought out the bomb. Yeah, and man. Nothing gets done with it. 
And that's my point. So you know, at some point, there's another well, nuke going that, off. That, that's actually, you know, not un, that's that's not fair to Japan because we we did do something with it. We well, mass, we massacred thousands of citizens. But whatever, not doing anything know, with it again since you know? then. Yeah, since seriously. the other two times we used it. I mean, there's something to be said about like, listen, had we dropped those bombs and then we were like, fuck, man, at what cost, you know? And like, mm. shut it down. That would have been one thing, but we didn't. You know, you know, and fucking Oppenheimer, man, he's he knew oh, but he, he knew the score. Yeah, but he was he's not like, happy with himself. Yeah, he's that, like, dude. I am become death, but he still did it. Well, I mean, what do you mean? He still did it afterwards. It was done. And then he was like, fuck, what did I do? You know, he but knew, all those dudes are accountable, right? Like yeah. Einstein, Einstein's not directly involved, but his yeah. equations led to the splitting of atomic energy, right? I think that's why the, that poster of him sticking out his tongue exists is just like he he was like, I need some good PR after this. Yeah, like, uh, <laughs> my name I is taken up. on a, a dark stigma. <laughs> I mean, he's Jewish, right? He was a Jewish uh, German, a German Jew in the middle of that shit. He got out while the getting was good, and then he made bombs to kill people. <laughs> yeah, so it all worked out. Yeah, man. I don't know. I heard something today that says that the death penalty is still legal in Israel, but only for former Nazis. And I was like, well, that's interesting. Because the death penalty is already weird, but think about former Nazis. Like, sure, there's got to be a couple kicking around, but that largely has to be like a, a very limited number. And at that point they got to be like 90, 95. Like they got to be super up there. Yeah. Cause those people to have been active Nazis would have had to have been born in the early twenties. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 Early twenties. So they, they'd officers. have to be yeah, straight be like, up like a hundred years old. Yeah. Yeah. That's where we're at, man. Like nine, late, late nineties into the hundreds for sure. Yeah. Um, would you? I'm sorry. I must ask the question. I'm just like you. So you're Israel, Max, and a couple old Nazis come strolling by, and they're like, "We were old Nazis." I don't know why they're delivering that information up top or anything. In Israel, in no Israel, less. no less. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like they're 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 walking by. We're not even having a conversation. We're built up to this. I'm like on the street. They're like, "We're a couple of old Nazis," just announcing it to yeah. street vendors, whoever. Are they being polite? They're like, Mazel Tov, I killed your ancestors and kept walking or something? Like, like how bad is it? <laughs> Why did they have that accent, by the way? <laughs> well, because they fled Germany. They went to fucking Brooklyn afterwards. And they like they laid low. They assimilated, but now they feel a little bit more comfortable because of the national they, climate. They like, lived undercover as Hasidic Jews. Yeah, well, dude, plain sight. No one's Went, went to the there. mother country, Israel. Yeah. And then they were like, hey, guess what, guys? Yeah, uh, we're we're Nazis. You ever read fucking night? Isn't by, that uh, funny? We're all over that now, right? <laughs> Look, listen. In, in fucking the sixties, they did Hogan's. Have I have I read Night is, uh, by Ellie Wiesel? Yeah, I was gonna say that. Guys? Yeah, but hold on, hold on, because I'm just pointing out that in the sixties they made Hogan's Heroes, which is a like cool Nazi show. Okay, so not twenty years, not fifteen years after the Holocaust, we were already laughing about Nazis. Oh my God, and they're like cute Nazis. They're just like they're yeah. fucking inept as shit, and like everyone's laughing at them. Oh, you Hogan, don't you try to escape again, dude? I, like, I mean, like, come on, fifteen years after the Holocaust, they're like, this is a good idea. Let's have this on. You know, that's that's a ballsy show. It is. Right. All right. So, have you read uh, Night by Ellie Ellie Weissel? Yeah. All right. Did you ever read the Squeakle, which is called uh, D- Dawn, I believe? Yeah. Did you read Dawn? Okay. So yeah. Dawn, as you know, is about him 
the same character from Night, though it's fictionalized, working now as a part of the Israeli army, and he has a former Nazi that he has to execute at dawn, and he spends the whole night talking to that Nazi. I thought it was a British officer. Is it? Is he British? I'm gonna look it up. Oh yeah, look it up. I may have because it's like a big moral conundrum. Why would I care about the British? Wait, what did the British do here? What did they fuck up? Didn't the British establish Israel? Like they were the ones to really back it. Um. Okay. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. He must execute a British officer. Wait. Okay. So this changes everything. I'm over here fucking up because I'm just like, well, he's a Nazi. There's no drama here. Well, yeah. They're they're trying. He's like a part of an extremist Israeli group, and they're trying to oust the British occupants from his area or whatever. Okay. Um. And they capture a British officer, and he decides whether or not he wants to execute this dude. So wait, Israelis were given Israel by the British and the Americans, and then they were like, get out. <laughs> That's what happened. It's not great. <laughs> I'm just asking. I need to know something, man. Um, okay, Dawn is an original work of fiction. It yeah, tells the work fiction. of Elisha, Elisha, a yeah. Holocaust survivor. After the war, Elisha uh, moves to the British Mandate of Palestine and joys, joins the Ergun in the book known as The Movement, a paramilitary group determined to oust the British from the area. One night, he is told he must execute a British officer at dawn. Man, Ergun, I thought was like Shogun. And for a second, I thought there was a Jewish Shogun community out there just fucking shit up. And I was going to be really into that. Uh, yeah. No. No. <laughs> what are they going to do Hasidic world in Westworld? It's my question. And everything is just really. Who would go there? I would go there. Are you kidding me? Oh my God. It'd be so fucking metal. Have you ever been like, see, you haven't. You haven't been in Brooklyn, dude. Listen. Walking through a crowd of these Hasidics is the best feeling in the entire world. I did that. When? I walked down fucking Marcy. Oh, and you like, did. You went through fucking. I was all right. up in that Hasidic neighborhood, dude. It's and awesome. it was really weird to walk down Marcy because, like, it starts off and it's kind of like factories and uh-huh. restaurants, industrials, fuck. And, yep. and then it gets really nice, and you're in the Hasidic area, and you're oh, like, it's great. Tree line. Then you cross Myrtle, and then the projects come up. <laughs> yeah, and then I'm like right in the projects, and people are straight up heckling me. Yeah. Um, you know, playing basketball games and it's great. I'm like, man, this is where I want to live. Yeah, and man. then like fucking, I keep walking. Six and then more it, blocks. Like, it's fine again. <laughs> it's fine again. And, uh, and I, nobody's heckling me. Yeah, man. What's up with the heckle, you know, in general? Like, I don't know. I just remember walking through the projects and there were like a bunch of old dudes and I walked by and, um, they were like, yeah, look at look at that little dude. He he's got more money than all of us. Ha 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 ha. And I was like, I can't afford to live where you live, dude. You don't know anything. I can't afford your project, man. That's the <laughs> fucking truth here. All right. You're hating on Whitey, but Whitey honestly hates you a little bit because I wish I was you, you know. And and then right after that, someone almost ran me over and I almost did the Dustin Hoffman in I'm Midnight Cowboy here. thing. I'm walking here. Yeah. I almost did it, but I was like, I don't really want to do that. But don't you? Doesn't did, a part of I you didn't. want to? Man. You know. I don't know. I don't maybe know, once man. I live in Brooklyn for a little while. You'll I'll, get it. You'll get the I'll taste get some for of it. that Bro- Brooklyn, that Brooklyn edge. I don't know if the Brooklyn edge is a good thing, but it's a thing. And it's, like, you know, you have it with you forever. So you just kind of. Forever? Gotta, you yeah. You carry yeah. it with you? It's like a fucking, you get branded with the Brooklyn Edge. Yeah, man. The Brooklyn Edge isn't a library card, dude. You don't just turn it back in when you stop being from Brooklyn. All right? That's just the truth. 
Dang, that's the truth. The true truth. You know, it's like uh, whatever uh, Michael Rooker is into with Sylvester Stallone in uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, the Reapers, the Raiders, yeah, the, the, the Ravagers. The Ravagers, yeah, yeah. Yeah. About them. And he's like, I wear these colors same as you. <laughs> you know, my favorite part about that is like, I'm going to be real. I, I love Sly, but I, I didn't even understand him the first time I watched that movie. He's like, you're like, what the fuck? Dude? Like, we don't mess with kids. And it's like, what? <laughs> no. We don't mess with kids. You're like, all right. He, like, he just turns into Assy McGee where he's just unintelligible. Oh, man, dude. Yeah. Look, I love that movie, though. I love Guardians 2 so much. I don't know why. It's wonderful because it, I think it transcends the whole Marvel thing for me. It gets into some deep emotional shit, you know. It's uh, the and plus ba- Baby Groot, man. I hate Baby Groot. He's he's honestly the one thing I hate. <laughs> like you know, Baby Groot to me was. And here's the thing: maybe we should just be appreciative because, like, Guardians One, like, was mostly not fucked with. And, you know, Disney was just like, well, we need to sell toys. We need to make a cute thing. So they made Baby Groot. And maybe that's the only interference. Like, he conceded Baby Groot so he can keep the control of writing the rest of that script. But, man, I fucking hated Baby Groot. Well, okay, here's why Baby Groot works for me me. is because each of the Guardians, like, you see this kind of uh, parenting relationship with Baby Groot. And, like, it kind of brings together this notion of them being a family Uh better than the first movie ever did. Yeah. So, like, Baby Groot sort of ties them together on an emotional level in a way that, like, helps the movie, I think. And also when he brings back that severed toe, um, <laughs> well, yeah, it, ma- it makes him less whimsical and more like, okay, now you're speaking my language, James Gunn. <laughs> oh, man, Baby Groot. But now he's going to be a pissed-off <laughs> teenager Groot. I'm not sure. That's, like, diminishing I mean, not anymore. He's a pile of dust right now, apparently. Oh, fuck, I forgot. Yeah. Yeah, you forgot because it doesn't fucking matter and it's going to get retconned. That's kind of the problem with everything here, right? Ultimately, it's like these comic movies don't have consequences. But I guess like that's the other thing. It's like, look, why am I hating on the comic book movies when this is what comics do? I mean, look, they've killed Captain America. They brought him back. They've killed Spider-Man. They brought him back. They've killed Batman. Well, they didn't kill Batman. He was just traveling through time. Fuck him. All right? It was a whole thing. Like. I mean, I had to read it. I sat there, and I'm reading it. I'm like, oh, my God, Batman's dead. Next issue. Wait, he's just in fucking dinosaur times? What the fuck, man? Well, I mean, this is where, like, and I think I've talked on previous pods before about, you know, how British television has us beat because they they go into that economy of storytelling, right? They give themselves limitations, and that makes the thing tighter, makes it a little bit better. So they they don't get worse over time because they don't give themselves the time to get worse. Whereas comics, they've got to like put out an issue like clockwork. They got to find some way to keep that story going. It's no different from a show like fucking General Hospital at the end of the day, except they have fucking god powers. <sighs> now he's in a coma. Now he's gotten replaced by another actor. Really depressed just now, but it's true. Like, oh my god, why have I wasted my life and my money on comics? <laughs> Why did I write a comic? It's just General Hospital. Like art is bullshit. There's no truth in anything. Like, uh, no, no, you 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 can find art wherever you look, and if you give yourself limitations, buddy, let's pull that plane off. Right, Come on, all right, all right, stop right. this death spiral, you sorry, son of a bitch. Sorry, all sorry. right, fuck. All right, all right. I'm good. I'm better. 
But no, no when, when you have 80 goddamn years to spend with the character, of course, yeah. you're going to get into some ridiculous shit. Does that mean the movie should? No, because that's a more limited format, yeah. right? So we shouldn't use that excuse. We should not use that excuse. We should be using uh, movies to elevate these stories, not What's to that, emulate man? them. This, there's this Batman story with Jason Todd. Now, mm. Jason Todd is one of the Robins. I don't know if you know how many Robins there have been, but there's been a lot, right? There's just there's a lot of them. So there, there have been a few. Jason Todd is one of them. Now, Jason Todd is the famous Joker who got killed by the or the famous uh, Robin who got killed by the Joker, rather. The famous Joker got killed by the Robin. Uh, did that I fuck that so up again? <laughs> Robin that was killed by the Joker. No, you got it right, and then I fucked it up on You're purpose. You're killing me. All right. Uh, my point is this. Jason Todd is that guy, right? When they did Death in the Family in the, in the early 90s, they killed him. They just yeah. murdered him. Mm-hmm. But in the 70s, man, there was a run where Jason Todd, like, murders this fucking drug dealer named Pepe. Who's I mean I dude I wish I was lying his name was Pepe and he talks about like I guess I have to leave America no more loose women and and fast cars or some shit seventies were weird anyway fucking um just, just side note is there any funnier name in all Pepe. of the name history than Pepe yeah no Pepe is pretty great man you I can't mean, imme- like you immediately cannot take that person seriously but continue please. Uh, the whole premise is just like someone fucked with Jason Todd in a way that he didn't like. So, uh, you know, the, Pepe is like, I got to go. No more loose swimming in fast cars. Right. And then it shows um, Jason Todd showing up on the balcony. Right. And then the next shot is Batman, like swinging from building to building, trying to get to Pepe's penthouse. Right. But as he's swinging, you just see Pepe falling through the goddamn air. Right. And the Batman's like, what the fuck? Jason, like, did he fall or was he pushed? He's like, he Jason, was, uh, Pepe's falling from Pepe's penthouse. <laughs> Get a paramedic to Pepe. <laughs> Please, paramedic Pepe, por favor. <laughs> Alliteration aside, Batman, he was a drug dealer. Like, <laughs> oh, Pepe's place. Oh, God, Pepe. <laughs> <laughs> All right. R.I.P. Bro. R.I.P. Uh, sorry. Uh, the alcohol got me, man. It finally caught you. It got me. Two straight nights of drink. I fucked up. Hey, man. Listen. Unrelated. I'm uh, listening. So you know, Game of Thrones is in its last season, right? Which is what. But they just—you uh, heard about this thing, right? They picked up a prequel. Uh huh. I mean, why? <laughs> like, that's my question. Um, have, I don't know if there's a, there's this thing uh, out there, and I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called money. <laughs> yeah. My, <laughs> I was like, oh, is this like a cool new app? Is this like a new uh, web series? Like, no, it's just it's just money. It's what makes the world turn. Yeah, that's why anything. Like, I've stopped asking why at this yeah. point. Look at all the bullshit that's come out. They're, they're coming out with a Mary Poppins sequel, man. Yeah, we talked about that on the last we one. T- man. It's solely responsible for diabetes sweeping across both America. Or, or a new, yeah, a new bubonic plague with yeah. this next one. Who knows? 
that would be so fucking it. Like Lin Manuel Miranda being all cute and Puerto Rican and shit, just decides to play it low key and then is responsible for another plague, you know? Because he's in Wait, he's is, in Mary Poppins too. Yeah, he's in it. Yeah, and right. Write and direct it. He's no. just in it. Now that would be interesting if he like written, wrote and directed. I'd be into it. No, he just plays like a guy. Which, by the way, we're in England, so like, never mm-hmm. mind the fact that there's just like this Puerto Rican dude hanging out there. I mean, look, I want inclusion, but that ain't realistic. You know what I mean? So. I'm against it on principle, but, but what I'm saying is like, what, what, um, is there any of the Westeros history that you even really give a shit about? Okay. So in fairness, I've read all the books. I don't know if you have, but um, I've read the first three. I haven't read the fourth one yet. Okay. Yeah. yeah like th- there's, there's a, such a rich history there that you can definitely Certainly. draw from. Certainly, yeah. Um, and it would be interesting. Like, what the story I would want to see if you were to make a prequel story to Game of Thrones would be Robert's Rebellion when you oh, got a course. young, young Ned Stark and you know the Targaryens and everything and the Mad King and all yeah. that and fucking young Tywin. Like that would be fucking compelling. Yeah, I would love to see that because that's full of betrayals that are hinted at, you know, and full of backstories that aren't fully fleshed out. I mean, I would want to see stupid things like Barristan Selby fucking fighting. You know what I mean? Like alongside, well, didn't he fight against Ned Stark in that in that that battle? Like with the bridge? What's the one where Homie lights the fucking sword on fire and goes across the bridge? Like what? That's oh, the big battle. Is, isn't that the battle of the Trident? Or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. So yeah. that's my point. But then, like, there's a part where Barristan. I love that I know more about Game of Thrones history than I do about real actual history. history. <laughs> <laughs> that just struck me. Who was like, the War of the Roses between? You're like, I don't know, fucking plants and people? Like, right, wasn't that uh, Michael Douglas and Kath, Kathleen, yeah. uh, <laughs> Kathleen Turner? Or whatever. Kathleen Turner. <laughs> what happened to Kathleen Turner, by the way? Because it's weird to me um, that she was like in romantic Years of smoking happened oh my, to Kathleen She talks Turner. like this now. She sounds yeah. like the, the real version of that. Like, I'm watching you, Wazowski. Yeah, from yeah. yeah. She, she got older, so she no longer has a chin. Oh, she man. she looks like one of those uh you know thumb wars th- thumb thumb tannic yeah thumb tannic the thumb witch project yeah uh, and but she and she's also been smoking for years it's not so, a good uh, look man so you, you want to catch what? her in the game of thrones i kind of love it as I the kinda, mad king no i yeah. <laughs> actually, Turner is that's the, the kind of king. that's the kind of stunt casting that i could actually they need they yeah, wouldn't even need makeup casting. yeah it's not like weird stunt casting where they're like oh it's a big name you know what i mean or it's against type it's just like no it's just like, fucking weird man yeah like she is fucked up i could see that <laughs> you could see <laughs> hold on so what you're saying is that you see kathleen turner like if she was in a, a regal situation and some middle age full of magic in a regal would, situation she would burn everyone <laughs> first order of business let's burn everyone alive <laughs> like, that's what i would love to turn to somebody at some point in my life and be like you know what I've we found ourselves in a real regal situation here. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say I would love to turn somebody and be like first order of business, let's kill everyone. Because I'm gonna be real with you, man. I thought that like my if I wrote Game of Thrones, season two would have been as soon as Tyrion got power when he was hand of the king, he would have been like first order, first of, order business. of business. <laughs> this light everyone on fire. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, everyone yeah. called me the half man. Let's just, just fucking quarter them, you know. It would have solved a lot of problems. You know, preemptive strike. Kill Joffrey. Yeah. Kill Tywin. Kill that bald fuck. Kill that not bald fuck. Kill that other fuck with the ropes that pretends fuck? to be older than he is. Varys. No. Even though they become homies later, yeah, Varys, is Varys cannot be trusted if we're being real. Right. No. 
Come on, Varys was trying. Like Varys did that whole like the world will not remember, but I will remember, and then he immediately turns his back on Tyrion. Like yeah, <laughs> but then he uh, he helps him he, escape. Right, he does what's right for the good of the realm. That's true, but it's I not for the want... good of the Tyrion, and that's the only uh, no. person I care about. Game of Thrones is so weird, man. Because like, do you remember that I didn't watch? that show until the fourth season was already over. It was in between season four and season five because I actively hated it mm-hmm. because I had tried to watch the pilot three times and thought it was just, just terrible. I, yeah. Okay. So we actually did a podcast. Um, we've talked about it maybe once before on this oh, podcast. Okay. You yeah. and I did a podcast at a first attempt three years ago when we had reconnected after a few years of not talking. Yeah. yeah and yeah. we, and I've re-listened to it recently. And we talked about how, like, you had not gotten into Game of Thrones, and I had. I was, like, pretty hardcore into Game of Thrones at that point. And you were like, yeah, I've seen the first episode, whatever. And I was like, it ends with a kid getting thrown off of a thing after he watches a brother and a sister fuck. And he's like, and you're like, yeah, whatever. I don't, it's fine. It's fine. I'll get to it eventually. Yeah. And I was like, fuck, man. Yeah, but here's my point. How, how times have changed, right? Because you were telling me, like, oh, you really need to get on it. This is fucking wonderful. Mm-hmm. Dude, I'm sorry. Season seven left such a bad taste in my mouth for that show that I'm kind of like, eh. Like, yeah. that yeah, could no, come no, back like, or not come back. And I'd be I'm fine. right there with you. After season four, I was, like, pretty – like, season four was, like, the last season where I was like, oh, this is still the show I recognize. Oh really? I don't know, man. I didn't like season five too much, but I really liked the the tail end of season six. Like I really season liked six it. brings yeah. it back a little bit. Yeah. It does for sure. It's entertaining, but um, as soon as they didn't have that source material to draw from, it yeah. kind of goes off the fucking rails. Was hold the door season seven or season six? That's season that, six. That right? was season six. Fuck, man, that fucking moment. That hold door. Hold the door. <laughs> 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 it's one of those things where like it's stupid as fuck like if that was like if he was a batman villain and they did they revealed that that was his backstory you'd be like that's fucking stupid but in this world i was just so sad man yeah. yeah well also jack bender directs that that episode jack bender's uh is a veteran loss director right so and mm-hmm. specifically it's season five where they started doing the time travel shit so I was really into it because I'm like, wow, Game of Thrones is acknowledging time travels and, and uh, brand can affect time and shit. And that show great. is such a wasted fucking opportunity. Well, now it is, is my point. Because the first four seasons, I think, are really wonderful. Like even yeah. season four, which starts to divert, by the way, it starts to do its it own does. thing. And but it starts to be fine, not quite dude. as good as season three, oh, but it's still fine. Man. It's still well. Fine. Season three is the top of the is the top. Yeah, of the, reigns of Castamere, the Red yeah. Wedding. Like, yeah, like it is every bit as like deserving of that hype that it got. Is there any weird history that you want to watch? Like, do you want to like all right, motherfuck the idea of what we know of Game of Thrones, right? Which is like an hour long drama with beautiful set pieces and this and this. But what if they did like a mockumentary on what it was like to be an Ironborn? You know what I mean? Just hanging out on those islands, like a, a fucking stupid king who does not God. give a fuck about his kids. Like, <laughs> there's a lot of that going on, man. Or even yeah. just like what it's like to be. Uh, you remember when Thirty Rock did the Queen of Jordan episodes, where they like they did mm-hmm. like a reality show of uh, Tracy Jordan's wife? <laughs> yeah, I just want to do that for Liza Aaron, real bad, man. Just leading up to the thing, and there's like I, little finger I, entering honestly, rooms and stuff. But I, I think the amount of Liza. Aaron that we got is exactly the right amount. 
anymore and i'm at over my it's limit. a delicate balance man uh it's like a ph level and uh we got it right the first time we don't need to uh, yeah when i saw she was in the witch i was like oh god here we go again. right it didn't it fucking ruin the witch a little bit for you because it had been completely she, unknown so she's fine she does it, a great she, job and then the other guy was also in game of thrones the dead Oh, was he? Who was he in Game of Thrones? He was one of the Ironborn who, um, like, decides to fucking knock out Theon after they take over Winterfell. Remember, Theon oh, leaves okay. the Ironborn to win their respect. But I and think the like, witch is before that then, right? Technically, or the, no? The witch is after that, because that's in season uh, two. Oh, okay. Oh, so early, early. I thought you meant when they do it again, because they do it again in season seven. Yeah, right? no, Where I'm talking about to... when, when Theon, like, okay. betrays the Starks to win the yeah. respect of his father. Initially. Okay, yeah. okay. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. All right, well, then never mind. See, they're both there. But see, I didn't, he was a bit guy in a way. Like, maybe he was just, like, a dude, so I didn't remember him. So I thought he was wonderful, because it was, like, all unknowns for the most part. Yeah. I love that in The Witch. She's wonderful in The Witch. She's fine. She does a great job. I'm not yeah. hating. But she gets her booby pecked out by a raven. That's horrifying, man. Why is that yeah. scarier to me than any of this other shit? You know, do you see Wait, the what other shit? Well, like for instance, Halloween. You know, like I love the OG Carpenter Halloween, and I'm even an apologist for two. Like I can get behind two because Carpenter effectively wanted to end it. Right, like it ends. People forget this. Two ends with like Loomis blowing himself up with Michael Myers in the room. Like they effectively end the series at the second one. Then they do that third movie about witches that no one cared about. And the fourth movie, Loomis is magically alive and they don't address it at all. Okay. Yeah. He has like a scar on his face. That's it. Right. Being blown up. Yeah. And like, well, the idea is that Carpenter wanted to do an anthology. Exactly. Yeah. He was on the second one was going to be like the end. Yeah. Yeah. Which I'm all about. For sure. You know, America rejected the, the third one. Which is weird, and it has its moments, honestly. I like Season of the Witch. I mean, yeah. if you, if you, if it was not called Halloween, you would have been fine with that movie. You have the yeah. preconceived notion that it's supposed to be a Michael Myers movie, and for better right. or for worse, that happened. Now, I'm bringing that up because David Gordon Green, who I actually really like as a director, is doing... He's doing the the remake. They're doing like not even a remake. Danny dude. McBride. <clears throat> it's yeah, like it's, a, it's a an official sequel. sequel to yeah. the first one. That kind of love that. I'm gonna be yeah. honest, man. Now, so is Loomis supposed to be in the film at all, or? I mean, Donald Pleasance is dead. Well, long sure. dead, sure, but but the character because this is also well, thirty. They, this is they, forty they years later. They bring him up in, in the trailer. They do bring him yeah. up. They're like his, his psychiatrist, and they show a picture of him, uh, shot him to death, yeah. or, like shot him and incapacitated him and arrested him. So they're probably not going to have it that connected, uh, yeah. which is fine. But my point is this: like slasher films in general, like there's uh, an idea of like menace and dread that you're supposed to have. That really, I haven't felt with any of those since the second movie. Like I don't, I don't like halloween four or five or six or any of those movies mm. h2o has a cool ending because jamie lee curtis cuts his head off but then they retcon it in the next movie being like it was a security guard and you're like well <laughs> come on man did that security guard have the same physique and height and fucking everything well, see, that michael falling myers had? In, it's like, falling into those same trappings uh, that we get with uh you know superheroes or with soap operas it's just anytime you extend something past its shelf date it's going to get into some stupid shit. Yeah. So you just got to learn to either be okay with that or not. Here's what I will say, though. Yeah. The, Chuck, the Chucky movies have never oh. had a remake or a requel. And they've had their ups and downs. But that series is still going strong. Yeah, let's talk and about kind Chucky. kind of fucking love Let's go about Chucky because you're, you're a real expert. And I've seen all of these films with the exception of the very last one. But so if I can go through it. First one. It's actually pretty scary, dude. It's weird. I mean, it's like cheesy, but it has its moments of like actual horror and it's really yeah. good, right? Yeah. 
Second one, I remember being okay. And the third one is when uh, the introduction... Wait, the second one might be better than the first one. The Hold second on. one is yeah. my favorite yeah, in yeah, the yeah, entire yeah. series. Okay. I'm confusing gets, this with the third one. It gets one. The third meta. One has it gets like meta. The, yeah, the third one is like where like... It has the kids, the, right? The, the kids in the okay. military. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah. Second um, one's really good. That's my point. So the first two are really fucking good. Then the yeah. third one happens and it's like the little kids. And I remember that ends with him being like thrown. It's like a roller coaster and like propeller blade, right? Because that's the beginning of the cut face Chucky that we see from... Um, like Bride of Chucky and Curse of Chucky. Right, 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 right. Okay. Yeah. So you got that shit going on. And I think Bride of Chucky is a lower part of the franchise. Like, would you agree? Like, it's certainly not so, the first So two. Bride and Seed of Chucky get into, like, the comedy metaphase. Of yeah, I like, I like Seed of Chucky. Fine. I think Seed and, of Chucky and is it's, really funny. And it's almost kind of hard to hate on Bride of Chucky. Like, at the time they came out, they were both, like, reviled critically. And, like, they are silly as fuck. But here's the thing. They know they're silly as fuck. They're straight-up comedies at that point. Then you get, if I remember right, Curse of Chucky. Uh-huh. And that this is many years later. And it's, like, this sober, kind of serious haunted house movie. It's a haunted movie house movie, yeah. With a Chucky doll. And the protagonist is a girl in a wheelchair. And at the end of it, she gets blamed for the murders. And yeah. you follow her character to the next one, Cult of Chucky. And it's a, a fucking insane asylum movie. Now, that's the one I haven't it, seen yet. I haven't seen Cold Chucky. And they brought in the team that made Hannibal to help make that. And you see a lot of those Hannibal visuals, like Hannibal, the NBC TV show. Yeah. You see a lot of those Hannibal visuals uh, kind of get married into that show or that movie. It's yeah. kind of great. It's on Netflix. Check it out. Like, I'm not saying it's the best thing ever, but, you know, it's fucking for a horror franchise. I feel like it doesn't get its uh, just dues. Wait, so what's the mythology of Chucky again? So the mythology of Chucky is a uh, fucking like murderer guy or like a robber or some shit. He's like, fuck, I'm uh, I'm running. I'm going to get yeah. caught. I'm, I'm yeah. pinned in. And he's just he's like, well, cornered by the police. <laughs> let me do some yeah. voodoo incantation to put my consciousness into a doll. All right. Am yeah. I right? Because I, yes, I, you are right. Holy shit. So wait, <laughs> hold on. How does he know the voodoo? Do they ever explain this? Is he like a Haitian? Like, what's his deal? He's a white dude, right? He, he like has it on a piece of paper for some reason. I don't really remember. <laughs> Just has it. He's just like, wait, in case of fucking uh, being cornered by the police, yeah. open this, and it's a fucking... Like, I, I'm not a straight-up Chucky expert. There are probably people who be like, oh, there, there's a part in uh, part two where they explain that thoroughly, you dipshit, but like, I well, don't know. Isn't there um, a part in the second-to-last one, so Curse of Chucky, where they do a flashback, and they have... <laughs> They have like the guy who plays Chucky, like de-aged digitally. Mm-hmm. And by that I mean that they just like put some glasses on him and like a hat. And the, the guy who plays Chucky for the record is Brad Dorif, yeah, who's, who's a great character fucking, actor. And Deadwood. In Blue Velvet. A, oh, Deadwood. he's a Blue Velvet. That's right. Oh my god. So many things. He's yeah. Doc, he's Doc Cochran and and Deadwood, which is what mm-hmm. I have always liked. He's one of my favorite characters. He's amazing in that show, yeah. you know? Um, and you're right, he's been spending the last 30 years playing this murderous fucking doll. All right, yeah. so Chucky is like, I'm about to get caught. No one wants to die, so let me just put the voodoo incantation into a doll. Voodoo incantation, and yeah. now... And there's some cartoon lightning that happens, and he happens to be in a toy store yeah. where these good guy, you know, like Cabbage Patch Kid-type dolls uh-huh. are, are there, and he, like, puts his soul into the doll. And the whole premise of the first movie is he wants to take over the body of the child who buys the doll or who gets the doll. Right. Cause like that was my, all right. So my, I had a fucked up dad who used to scare me with Chucky and the crypt keeper from tales yeah. of the crypt. And we can get into the tales of the crypt shit later, but to keep it nice. Chucky, 
he would always come up to me and he would like glaze his eyes over like he had been drinking. He could just do that. It was amazing. And he'd be like, I'm your friend till the end. Want to play? And he would do this shit all the time. Now, I would wait. Like sometimes I would wake up at 3.30 in the morning. And he's like looking over my body, drinking a beer, being like, want to play? <laughs> what the fuck? Nah, that part's not true. I hope. <laughs> It's just a memory you have that you're hoping is not real. Uh, man, I'm really, really <laughs> This took a turn. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, Chucky always scared the shit out of me when I was a kid and the Crypt Keeper. I remember very distinctly having a memory of like, and I think it was like one of those like waking nightmares. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what, what do they call those? Sleep paralysis type. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, those are the worst. Where I remember being in my actual bed as a kid and the Crypt Keeper was there and he was like running long nails down my back and oh. scratching my back. Horrible. Until like it was just raw um, and bleeding and stuff. Yeah, and dude. I, like, and I couldn't move. I used I to have these fucked up things too. My mom can yeah. corroborate this if we ever have her on as a guest, which would be a terrible idea, just because <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know if she would she would jive with this world we've created. But no, man. Literally Sundays, uh, ten o'clock HBO, and I'm talking about being a kid in DC, like in Alexandria, and uh, you would hear that Danny Elfman come on the dun 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 and you're outside the fucking house and the camera's moving like oh my god dude I'm running upstairs it's the three fucking story home and and like the projects or whatever and so we're running upstairs and it would just horrify me and my dad much like the Chucky thing he would he would wake me up like when I was really little he would do like a rooster sound it was really cute my stepdad jeff he would do like a uh like a i don't like a the way a cock crows if you will right and then at some point he just thought that that wasn't cute so he started doing the crypt keeper laugh to wake me up and listen dude that shit would wake me up you know what i mean like from yeah. dead sleep to like swinging i'm swinging as a fucking kid <clears throat> and i had dreams about him all the time you know my dad used to um do this thing where he would like flip his uh, eyelid inside out. You know how like asshole oh, sure. uncles do. Yeah. Right? yeah. He would do it to both and then do the crypt keeper laugh. And that freaked me out as a kid. And again, I'm four or five tops. That show stopped being on at like 96 or yeah. 97. So, and your, your like, brain is a sponge at this point, oh, just, just soaking in any sensory um, information that it can. And this is the information you're getting. Yeah. I mean, that's the point. It's not good information. <laughs> you know, it's like clearly awful. Because you think of a child's brain as just an unshaped hunk of clay. Yeah. And it's being shaped by all these outside influences. Okay, well, do you and- know what this outside influence would do? He would tell me that I need to I needed to go to sleep and make sure I was under the covers because the crypt keeper, crypty, was living under my bed. And if I had my feet outside of the covers, he would grab me and pull me into the bed, which was like fucked up. But then one day I had a dream about the crypt keeper um and more fucked up than him being like a monster chasing me he was like my legal guardian <laughs> like, <laughs> make sure you go to school kids yeah basically or like you know i don't know like you ever see like moms uh who were way too young to be moms but they're doing the best they can right and their kids are running around fucking everything yeah, up like their floater kids are, projects yeah exactly yes, and yeah. their and their kids are coming up being like and i have this and this and like you can only have one like the crypt keeper would do that with me i'd like can i have this can i have this and this kid Candies, like, you so, know, like candy. low key, the crypt keeper was a really responsible. He was, he was very responsible, but he was not nice. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like that's the problem. Like it costs nothing to be nice. And listen, you're already dead. Like, what? Like, why can't you meet me halfway here? And 
you know, he was fine. He was fine. But I thought that was weird that that was my uh, my nightmare of the crypt. I love that you have all this like built up resentment to this parental figure who did not exist. He just did the best he could. You know? <laughs> it doesn't cost anything to be nice, Crypty. <laughs> He's not real. Like, why am I mad at him? <laughs> oh, Crypty. He's just out there in the ether somewhere. You know, man. He probably Fuck. thinks of me still, just being like, I did the best I could. I did the best I could. The kid never appreciated it. You know? I was just a fucking corpse. <laughs> Doing the best I could on a fucking single parent's wage, man. Make dinner for this piece of shit. Washed his clothes. And this is how he thanks me. Fucking asshole. Give him uh, a candy. But yo, uh, Tales from the Crypt, man. You told it's a great me show. that you've only seen a couple episodes. I've only seen three episodes. I've seen one with Arnold Schwarzenegger, and then I've seen one with Dennis Miller, which is a movie, The Bordello of Blood. And then I saw the Joe Pesci episode. Now, the Joe Pesci episode, I think, is like a perfect encapsulation of what made that show amazing. And I feel like ultimately, if that is the only one that I've watched, I've watched the yeah. right one. But know? but I will but I will say that said that it makes me really sad that as a fan of horror. That that's all you've seen of that show. Do you own them? I own seasons three and four, I think. Well, it but sounds you, like you and I are all... going to do a binge watching thing when you get up here, man. It's all on YouTube, also. But what? Oh, dude, all of watch it for tonight. fucking free. For watch fucking them. free. Wait, like send you some good version or like where they have it in a theater or they like reverse oh, it? No, it's like... it's like good. It's not like in a theater and it's like a quarter yeah. of your screen. Okay, right? yeah, like Life and Times. I'm going to send you oh, some yeah. of the best episodes that I fucking can because that show at its best is like what horror is for me, man. Like just stupid fucking funhouse horror. It's, you know, I'm glad that you're in this horror thing. I'm in this horror thing too um, at the moment. And it's um, it's an amazing genre, man. You know, yeah. we talked about it a little bit about like what, ref- you know, what's reflective of the things that we're scared of. But what's the first horror film that you like really loved as a kid? Now there's a difference between being scared because I was scared of everything as a kid. But what's the first horror film that you really fucking loved that you felt on some other level? <clears throat> I don't know. Um, I remember seeing The Shining when I was younger. And I one. remember getting a racer head in the mail uh, when we got Netflix. And that was one of the first movies that I rented. And because yeah. um, I was always, I always thought the cover for it was really funny. Yeah, I, Jack Dance, I, I literally hair. thought it was going to be like a comedy indie movie in black and white. And I was a weird kid, and I was like, that's my kind of movie. Yeah, no, that um, cover makes you think that Jean Ralphio is the main character with yeah. the amount of, like, volume of hair that he has. Yeah, it's, it's like a confused guy with a ridiculous haircut. <laughs> you think, like, this is going to be a comedy for the ages. And then you watch it, and it's, like, pure existential nightmare fuel. I felt like my nightmares had been committed to film Yeah. when I watched that movie. And for then sure. I just got into David Lynch, and then I got into horror in general. And there was like a good 10-year period where, well, I'd say a five-year period where I was going to Blockbuster every Friday and I was like getting three or four horror movies, random horror movies. I didn't care about the cover. I didn't care who was in it or what it was about. I just wanted to see as much horror as I could. Mm-hmm. And I just like fucking got into it from there. But I That's love great, horror, man. man. Yeah, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of horror. I mean, like I said, my stepdad was kind of an asshole. So it made me watch a lot of slasher flicks and stuff. But the two, there's two movies. And um, 
you know, both of them are interestingly enough given to me by my actual father who gave me nothing else but a bad temper and like, you know, uh, alcohol dependency or something, but, uh, fucking the serpent in the rainbow, but Bill Pullman, Wes Craven yeah, movie yeah, from yeah. the eighties, fucking yeah. one of the first movies I saw it's based on an actual real oh, ass story. Too. God, dude. So scary. Like as a kid, it was really scary. And then I remember I watched it again when I was a teenager and I would make, uh, cause they shot it in Dominican Republic. They tried to shoot it in Haiti. And they did for like a month and then like shit got wild. So they had to move it to DR. And <laughs> like I was like, real, pack it in, boys. Let's go, Let's go to DR. Well, I told her like, you know, the sad thing is that like in DR, an insult, if you want to insult someone, there's no bigger insult than being like, you're a Haitian. Like that's how fucked up it is, even though they share a border. Right. right. So uh, I told her like, it's kind of fucked up that you can't tell when they change production. You know, like I was hoping there would be like a big, like drastic change and you could tell didn't happen but yeah man uh serpent in the rainbow one of the fucking creepiest scariest movies and again like in a weird slow burn sort of way not in the slasher way that a lot of those films were popular even by Wes craven standards who is mm-hmm. a stranger to the slashing genre right the slasher genre so um but there was something about like that movie spends an hour just pu- pulling you into this weird world and then by the time bill pullman's in that coffin with snakes and the voodoo shit like horrified and then the other one believe it or not man and this is going to sound crazy is evil dead one i remember watching evil dead one in boston when i was seven years old my dad rented it and um and he thought it was really funny that i was so scared of it because he thought the makeup looked so silly but i think that evil dead one the makeup is actually surprisingly good man yeah and maybe it's because it's in you know uh combined with the with the 16 millimeter that they shot on the graininess of it all Mm -hmm. that you don't think of it as like oh it looks obviously fake like when you watch ash versus the evil dead now Mm -hmm. there is a level of artifice to it like it looks great and they're in the the same tradition as evil dead right but you can tell it's like oh it's fake whereas in that first movie man there's something about the way it was shot man it just that shit feels real and that was something that stuck with me for forever you know what i mean and uh i love the last 20 minutes of evil dead or just nightmares dude like it's yeah. fucking horrifying so well i mean that said um i think you're really gonna like hereditary man really I, oh, uh God, well yes. like there there's like a final 20 minute stretch that i okay this is the only spoiler i will give you and it's not a spoiler it's okay. a tonal spoiler sure i think that you could very safely and i wouldn't judge you either way read this as a terrifying emotionally charged horror movie okay or you could read it as the darkest most pitch black comedy of the year (laughs) and either way you would not be wrong oh man okay that's not good (laughs) it's not good good. well no it's kind of great great. yeah that's the problem it's not good because well here's the thing about horror and that's why i love tales from the crypt if we want to bring it back to that and child's play too and all those movies is that there's a playfulness to it yeah and there there's like a consciousness to what they're doing they're very aware of like how ridiculous this material is and good horror, I think, is always pitched on the edge of do I laugh or do I cower? Yeah. And that's what's great about David Lynch's stuff, right? Because at any given moment, you're not sure if you should be laughing or cringing. Yeah. And sometimes you're doing both. And like any piece of art that makes me do that, I say fucking A. 
Well, I mean, fuck, man. You got me on hype now. I'm really excited to see this fucking movie. It's not like the Exorcist shit. People are trying to compare it to that, right? No. So I was expecting this to be like a martyrs level, like emotionally scarring, damaging event. You wanted to go to therapy for two years after watching this. It is not that. I slept with the light off just fine. Okay. But that said, if you have a family or you have children, I could see this movie really being that for you. So we're lucky because we have no attachments, right? We've done well for ourselves. (laughs) Man, I don't know. I mean, that's my thing. I mean, here's the other thing. Do you think maybe it's time to stop with the exorcist uh, comparisons? I I think we need to. Yeah, like so like we we had an entire off camera, off pod conversation. A 50 minute podcast basically without it recording about not ranking things and not categorizing things and this kind of falls into that for me where like i feel like it's almost reductive to say or very reductive to compare a horror movie to the exorcist or Mm -hmm. a horror movie to the shining you know just let it be its own thing and it's fine yeah, that no, way you don't I, have those associations. I also just think that all of those things are of a very specific time and place. Like you yeah. could, if you wanted to do a shot for shot remake of The Shining with the exact same script, you would never in a million years be able to do what that film did. You know what I mean? Right. Like, and same thing with The Exorcist. The Exorcist is rightfully revered, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've watched it recently, and yeah, the first 20 minutes are like rough to get through every time, but as soon as Ellen Burstyn's on screen, the movie starts humming, and it gets fucking really creepy and really scary, and everything about it's great, and it deserves its fucking um, you know, praise, but nothing's going to hit those things, nor should it aspire to do that. It, it should try to pave its own way, and I think you've seen a lot of movies, like what I really love about horror right now is that I think we're in a thinking man's horror right now. Like, I think things like the Babadook coming out, which is giving a, you know, a voice to depression and loss and survivor's guilt and shit like that. Right. Um, Or, or it follows, which I think has a lot to do about growing old and about adulthood and childhood and that line that blurs between it. And I think that that's like this really beautiful thing that we're currently in and we're getting these really thoughtful and allegorical horror stories. And that's what it should be to begin with, you know? So like, just to give you guys a reference point or to give you a reference point Mm -hmm. or an example, like what I personally find unnerving, um, the most unnerving film I think I've seen in the past five years is probably still under the skin. This yeah. movie does not come close to Oof. under the skin me. is rough. Yeah. Under the skin is rough for a couple of reasons. Um, because it has like an absolutely terrifying last 10 minutes of, of the film. It's just like, un- it's terrifying like- and tragic. And un- in- inevitable is Dude, what makes it's it terrifying perfect. because a, a person, a monster that I just spent 90 minutes seeing be a monster and kill people is now the innocent person. <laughs> like, and yeah. the real monster is the fucking humans, man. Like mm-hmm. it just fucked with me in a way I was not ready for. And yeah. then beyond that, there's like other scenes. There's that scene where, you know, and it's funny if you watch that movie and you're watching it with certain people, like there are scenes that are played for laughs. There's that scene where she gets that one guy and they're in their house and then they're dancing and he's Mm -hmm. naked. And it's like, oh, that's funny because he's dancing naked. And there's that, he becomes a skin suit, dude. And he's just floating without any bones. And you're like, what the fuck is going on, man? Yeah, One of the most effective horror films I've ever seen, dude. It's it's wonderful. And it's not even a traditional horror film. But I think that's my point is like... Neither is Eraserhead, not properly. Mm-hmm. Neither is Mulholland Drive. Both have horrific moments, dude. Like, well, oh, okay, so this, this is an interesting point because I would absolutely put those in the category of horror. 
You put Mulholland Drive in horror? I would absolutely put it in horror. Okay. Because I, I think that, that that movie as a whole creates a sense of dread that sure. few movies do. Especially that movie is, if you have to take one scene from that movie that accurately describes the feeling of it, and for me anyway, and there's many brilliant scenes, but it's the Winky's dream sequence where he's like, and not specifically the whole story, but just like as he's about to go across that thing, it's mm-hmm. like the whole film makes you feel like right around that corner is that thing that you is, you're so scared of and you don't want to see it because yeah. if you confirm that it's there, holy yeah. shit, man. <laughs> like, well, like, and, and I think that like in terms of a horror climax, it's so underrated, the climax of Mulholland Drive, where you hear the knocking on the door and it's like thunderous and you see Naomi Watson close up, just tears streaming yeah. down her face just solemn as shit and you see the lights from police cars flashing in her apartment just red and blue red and blue red and blue and then like the little fucking old people crawl under her door and then they become bigger and they're laughing and pointing at her and trying to grab at her and she eventually shoots herself and then a plume of smoke erupts and it's like the perfect fucking horror climax and it doesn't really get enough credit that movie is straight up horror to me and it's horror because you have an emotional attachment to that character by the end yeah it's fucking tragic yeah i was talking to john today um shrek was over here <clears throat> which is my friend clea's husband mm-hmm. we were playing nazi zombies today and he was like you know what would be really interesting is like if the nazis won world war ii and they were the only people out there and then zombies happened <laughs> because then <laughs> he's just like think about it i'm like oh my god because i did think about it i'm like i'm put in the unfortunate position of having to be like, do I want the the extermination of the human race or do I want to be on team Nazi today? And that was a really, that was a real thing, man. Like I had to think about that. And I was like, how do you humanize either of those stories, man? It's either like undead fucking animal trying to I eat mean, flesh. At or, that point, I would be rooting for the zombies. Are you officially going pro zombie? Because yeah, like, think about team this. zombie. You've well, got see, Nazis like, versus zombies. Well, like let's bring it back to the to that's the white Doctor supremacists versus the all. proletariat. Yeah, <laughs> the zombies, the proletariat. Yeah, no longer form unions. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, dude, it's just like all right to bring it back to the Doctor Strange love it at all. It's just like the idea of like okay, you got hit with a nuke, so your idea is like let's just kill everyone else, right? Mm-hmm. Even the un- the people who are unrelated. It's like. All right, so the Nazis have taken over, and now it's just zombie outbreak versus Nazi outbreak. Now, the, now listen, if they were zombies, if they were Jewish zombies, and they came back to get what was theirs, then I'm fine with it, dude. Honestly, I ain't rooting for the Nazis at that point at all. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my God. I just said that out loud, and I heard it come out of my mouth, and I'm like, what the fuck, dude? I just want to go on record as saying that at no point did I root for the Nazis Ooh, here. <laughs> all right, too much alcohol. Too much. And uh, that has been this week's installment of Where's My Burrito? Nothing impresses me much